0: Revelation 12, this is the word of the Lord. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. "'For they loved not their lives, even unto death. "'Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. "'But woe to you, O earth and sea, "'for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, "'because he knows that his time is short. "'And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, "'he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. "'But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle "'so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness.' to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus and he stood on the sand of the sea. Thus far, God's inerrant and infallible word. Well, you probably have heard the old expression, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. Uh, It's kind of a troubling thought when you think about it. Uh, We came into town late Friday so that we could wander yesterday around the Georgia Aquarium. Uh, That was our first time there, and You know, there are people you see like in the line to go in, and then you find yourself crossing paths with them in the crowd, and um, you start to wonder, are they out to get us? You know, are they following us? Um, Of course, we know that's silly, uh, but spiritually, brothers and sisters, it is true. There is one who is out to get us. That person is Satan. He is described in the Bible as the devil... The enemy, the deceiver, the thief, the robber, the serpent of Genesis chapter 3. And this morning, I want us to spend some time considering from Revelation 12 what we learn about this enemy of our souls. Now, when we talk about anything from the Bible, we want the Bible's balance in these things. Which means, if you're visiting, we don't talk about this stuff every week. <laughs> Um, This is not something that the Bible um, spends exhaustive time on. The Bible refers to it. The Bible explains it. The Bible assumes this dynamic, this conflict between Satan and the church. um, But the Bible doesn't spend all of its time thinking about these things. We've been in circles, haven't we? Maybe had friends who are just so caught up in this notion of, of Satan and the war between demons and, and light and whatnot, and it just kind of gets sort of woo-woo in a hurry, and we don't want to have anything. We don't want to be that those kooks. You know, we may love them, but they're kooks. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can make a mistake, then, of ignoring. The, the pendulum swings back, and we end up ignoring something that is consistently presented in the Bible, as a reality and as a dynamic in our lives in this uh, time. You may know of C.S. Lewis's famous observation from his preface to the screw Tape Letters almost 100 years ago now. He said there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And so maybe we have too much reacted against an excessive and unhealthy interest. And so we end up living as uh, those um, sort of 20th and 21st century empiricists and naturalists and say, well, if I can't see it, it's not happening. And yet the Bible speaks of the unseen principalities of the, the things of darkness that are very, very real. The world doesn't know what to do with it, and sometimes Christians don't either. In October of 2013, uh, the devout Roman Catholic uh, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia uh, spoke about this to New York Magazine. He was talking about heaven and hell, and he told the interviewer, he said, I even believe in the devil. The interviewer replied, you do? Scalia explained, yeah, he's a real person but it's curious in the gospels the devil is doing all sorts of things he's making pigs run off cliffs he's possessing people and whatnot and that doesn't happen very much anymore the writer said near the end of his excursus on evil scalia said quote you're looking at me as though i'm weird close quote kind of the way y'all are looking at me now Uh, (laughs) as we talk about the devil and satan Friends, we are, I think, in this time, too naturalistic and empirical, so I want us to spend some time this morning, this one Sunday, uh, considering what God has said in the scriptures about Satan. And the first of these things, first of these three things, is that he is a real enemy. Uh, We may want to pretend as if he is not a real enemy, but he is a real enemy, not just God's enemy, but he is also our enemy. He knows your name. As we consider who this enemy is and what he does, uh, we need to set the table, if you will. So before I I bring out the the food to put on the table, let's set the table, go back to Genesis, and remember God created everything. God is eternal, he is all-powerful, he is sovereign, and he makes things in his universe. He has made all of us, he has made the world, he made the angels, Indeed, he made the angels who fell, whom we read in uh, beginning in verse 7, that Michael and his angels were fighting against the dragon. We know from other places in the Bible that Satan was a, an angel who fell, an angel who turned away in sin and in rebellion against God. But what that means is Satan is a created being. He does not have godlike power. This is not the, the Eastern concept of the yin and the yang and uh, these two uh, opposing forces who are constantly battling one another in the world. God is sovereign over all that he has made. And he may, this we may be speaking about the devil and a powerful devil, but if I can put it this way, he is God's devil. He is the devil whom God has made. He is a spirit, he has no physical body like God but understand that means he is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. He's a created being. He's not all-present. He is local. He, he must be in one place. He cannot be every place at once. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He's been watching us. He's been studying us. He he understands what we are like as human beings of the ways that we are tempted or the ways that we are tempted to believe false things, untrue things about God. But understand, as much a pit bull as he is, he is a pit bull on a leash, he he does not run freely in the world. He is one who has been conquered and who will be destroyed. As I said, we are told that a war arose in heaven and other places in the Bible, and that's where Satan comes from. But he comes from that as a created being, as an angel, as one given to do spiritual work who rebelled against God, and so he rebels. He opposes. The word Satan itself comes from Hebrew. The Hebrew word Satan, which is to oppose. The noun form of that is an adversary. And so Satan is one who is an adversary against God and God's people. You see, when we come in faith to Christ, he puts his very name on us. So the one who opposed has opposed God in eternity past. The one who, who tempted Jesus in the wilderness and threw all he had at him, Jesus said a servant is not above his master. And so once Christ puts his name on you, you become subject, if you will, to the enemy's assaults. But in some comforting way, take that as, as a strange kind of assurance. He, he has no need to accuse those who were not in Christ. And so, boys and girls, I want you to think of Satan almost like a heckler in a crowd. Maybe you've seen a TV show or something, or maybe you've even been somewhere where somebody was in the back yelling uh, counter to what the speaker was trying to say or, or interrupting. And as you and I walk through this life, think of Satan as a heckler. And you, you and I may say, I am a new creation in Christ. And he yells from the back, no, you're not. If you were, you wouldn't have done such and such. Or if you were, you, you would have loved your brother or your sister, or you would have been kinder in that situation. See, he is accusing. He's constantly trying to discourage the people of God. Because he, he is at war with God. And so he is at war with anyone who, if you will, wears the uniform. He is at war with anyone who knows and loves Christ and upon whom Christ has put his name. We have a picture of Satan's activity in the, the book of Job. Read that in this afternoon, just chapters 1 and 2. And we don't have time to go into that, and I'm not sure I entirely understand everything that is going on in Job and one, Job's chapter 1 and 2. But you see Satan there uh, as the sons of God come to meet with him. Satan, if you will, is getting in line and he is he's heckling. He's sowing dissent. He's creating questions. And so, as I said, Satan may tempt you and me to not believe that we are Christians, to think that, well, if you really were a Christian, you wouldn't have done that. While you see, at the same time, he is trying to tempt you uh, beforehand to think, well, that sin is not so great. Now, after we sin, he wants us to think that sin is, is condemning and we have no hope of eternal life. There's no reason for us to look to the finished work of Christ Jesus. Think about in Matthew chapter four, when Jesus is after the spirit has come down upon him and. Uh, He has heard the words, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Matthew tells us immediately Jesus was led out into the wilderness. And there the accuser comes. Think about how he accused him. He said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from the top of the temple. If you are the Son of God... All of the world, if you will bow down to me, all of the world will bow down to you. You see how the enemy there was sowing confusion. He was trying to confuse Jesus about who he was and about what he had come to do. That's why when we sing sometimes that beautiful hymn from the 19th century, to usually to newer words, written by Charity Lees Bancroft, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. I think old Ms. Bancroft knew what she was writing about when she could then say, upward, I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. But doesn't this enemy come and he tempts us? He tempts us to despair that there is anything good in us, that God is doing anything in us, that brings us to consider uh, more, uh, secondly, that not only is this a real enemy, but we are engaged in a real war. A real war. Look in verse 12 of Revelation 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. This is not a game. This spiritual warfare about which the Apostle Paul will write in his epistle to the Ephesians about the spiritual armor and the, and the things that we should put on for this spiritual battle. But so often, we want to pretend like there is no spiritual battle. Well, as they say about uh, uh, other things, you know, you may not be interested in this war and your enemy, but your enemy and the war are interested in you. We didn't start this, if you will. The enemy started it when he rebelled against uh, Christ. And now he is pursuing us, and he has come to us in great wrath. So it's not an option if you are in Christ to say, oh, I'm just going to sit this one out. This sounds kind of weird <laughs> and sort of, sort of crazy, and I just think I don't kind of want to go down that path as a Christian. Well, if you are a Christian, the enemy is going down that path after you. In verse 13, we're told that he pursues, he, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. We don't have time to go down Um, that trail this morning about that imagery but but you get it in the big picture sense he is pursuing the people of God as he has pursued Christ think about when Jesus was born and Herod puts out the order that all the male babies in that area two years and under are to be put to death and he is pursuing Christ through Herod and then Jesus and his mother and father flee to Egypt and we see uh, him fleeing here because the enemy is pursuing him and just as Jesus the infant was pursued all the way uh, to the point that they had to go down to Egypt for a season brothers and sisters we're told in the Bible that he is pursuing us in first Peter chapter 5 uh, look it up this afternoon first Peter 5 8 Peter writes, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I don't know if you've ever seen lions up close. They, they look so restful, so peaceful. Yesterday at the aquarium, we saw the crocodiles, and they just lie there until they don't. And we realize they've been pursuing, they've been watching, they've been been preparing their attack. And as surely as if you had been thrown into that pit of crocodiles, brothers and sisters, when you were marked in Christ, so now the crocodile and what Peter says is the roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And in verse 15 we see the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. His goal was her destruction, was the church's destruction. And if you are in Christ, you are in the church. And his goal is not just the destruction of the church. It is the destruction of the Christian not so much in our bodies. Jesus said, don't fear the one who can destroy the body. Fear the one who can destroy the soul. And his goal is for you and me to doubt our standing in Christ. To look to our own weak, wobbly hearts instead of looking to Christ. You see, it's not um, great faith in some Savior. It can be weak tiny faith it can be the faith with all of the strength of a single strand of a spider's web but if it is upon christ jesus the one who has triumphed over sin and death it is an effectual and saving faith but you see his goal is our destruction jesus said in john 10 the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy And while there's kind of a poetic structure to that, understand this isn't Jesus writing poetry. This is Jesus warning his disciples that there is an enemy in pursuit of him and in pursuit of his people. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And that is his desire for the hope and the confidence that you have in Christ of looking to Him on the cross, your sin put upon Him, and the most pure holy man ever becomes the most vile, criminal, pedophile-like, horrific human being ever in the history of the world. And He does it for you and me. And he takes that wrath on himself and he places on us his perfect righteousness. And then he triumphs over sin and death and the stone is rolled away. And he ascends to his heavenly father and the Bible tells us he is there interceding for us. And that one day he will return and he will wipe away every tear. As Tolkien said, everything sad will come untrue. And instead, the enemy wants you and me focused inward. He wants us turned in on ourselves where we're seeing how we've been sinned against and how we've failed Christ and how we uh, surely he couldn't love somebody like us. Oh, he he may love the the nice sort of uh, sweet people, but I know what I've done. I I know what's in the closets that no one else knows are even there, much less what's in them. And Satan wants us to just dwell on that and to look at the catalog and to think about everything that's in those closets and how we have failed and how we continue to build more closets and we continue to fail. Because you see, the thief comes only to steal and kill. And he wants your eyes on yourself and not on the Lord Jesus. You see in verse 17 how he makes war against all Christians. He, we're told the dragon became furious with the one and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. They attacked our Lord the world did. He attacked our Lord. Why would we expect anything different? Uh, He—he's not uh, here physically in his resurrected body to be pursued and to be attacked. So you go for the next best thing, right? You—you have—you have, you have uh, legal papers, perhaps, to have. Uh, Served on a particular corporation, and so you go and you want to serve them on the president of the corporation, and you can't find the president of the corporation, so what do you do? You serve them on the vice president of the corporation or the secretary of the corporation because as officers, they represent the corporation. So in the same way, you and I who are in Christ, we are what remains, if I can put it that way, in the world in this time of Christ in his work his kingdom advances through us and so naturally he makes war on us in Ephesians 6 the apostle Paul writes stand against the schemes of the devil verse 12 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood see Satan opposes the church and he opposes Christians through flesh and blood because that's the world we live in, right? I mean, we are physical. We are physical beings. We are souls with bodies united in one person. So it looks like we wrestle against flesh and blood. The apostle says, actually, we're wrestling against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I mean, the Apostle Paul, who endured so much, endured so much, literally, and in his physical body, he had, his back would have looked like the biggest mess you've ever seen from all the lashings he had received. And all the times he had been stoned, and all of the ways he had been opposed, and within an inch of his life, and nearly drowned. And I'm sure he could think back to the people who had done those and what their faces looked like and what their eyes looked like, and yet he says, you know, the the battle isn't against them. The battle is, is against the rulers and the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And as those forces were at work against the people of God then, they are against the people of God now. So we should not be surprised. And of course, part of how he obscures and how he deceives is in our thinking, no, there really isn't a devil, and these things just all have natural explanations, and it's perfectly explainable why the world is almost mathematic in that sense. And we forget that there is one who prowls about like a roaring lion. And you see, the beautiful thing about Ephesians 6.11, it reminds us, that those who are doing harm to the church and to the people of God, they are victims of the enemy. I mean, it is hard to look at those who oppress the church in dark places in the world or those who would seek to harass Christians even in this country. But I do think it helps us to remember that though their condemnation may be just one day, yet in the same time, think about when Stephen was being stoned Who was there holding the coats of the stoners? It was the Apostle Paul. Except he wasn't the Apostle Paul. He was Saul, the persecutor of the church. And so indeed, it may be that the one who is the next great um, uh, Christian leader or Christian preacher in the world, maybe right now, as someone pointed out some years ago, maybe they're strung out on drugs and carrying a rainbow flag and um, or just a complete mess, But see, our battle is not against those people. It is against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness. And so we want to be those who love the captives and hate the captor, as the Gettys taught us to sing. The old Puritan Richard Baxter said, he deceives you into obscuring the gospel. In other words, our Christian lives cease to be looking to Christ and listening to his word and they subtly become dues and we want to make sure that we don't and he hides the beauty of Christ he hides the riches of his saving grace of his redeeming love of the, the love of God in Christ revealed in our redeemer and instead we start our, looking at our checklist and how did I do and what did I fail to do that I should have done today? And what did I do that I shouldn't have done? And you see how that, while we want to examine our hearts, we want to examine our hearts that they would drive us to Christ. And the enemy is content for you and me to let minor things become major things and to obscure our focus and for the things that are of first importance, the apostle says, become so much less important. Boys and girls, you may have heard that people who work in banks um, are learn to look at currency. And they, they learn to know what are the signs, or you know, five or six or eight signs that the currency, the, the paper money that they're holding, wasn't just made on a nice color laser printer. And so there are are watermarks in the paper, and there are different kinds of threads, and there there are things that you can look at and see, because the reason for that is you couldn't possibly come up with every way that currency could be counterfeited and memorize that list. Now, what you do is you look at the true thing. You see, the enemy wants you and me to look at ourselves and to look at our flaws and not to look at the thing which is good and true and beautiful, which is the risen Christ. And that brings us finally, after thinking about a real enemy and a real war, to what I'll say is even more real, and that is a triumphant king. Turn over a few pages in your Bible to Revelation 20. We have some picture of the destruction of the enemy in Revelation 12 and 13, but it's even more vivid how this conflict ends in Revelation 20. We're told, and they marched up over the broad plains of the earth, and this is the enemies of God, this is Satan, and uh, surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It's not the worst thing in the world, maybe, to memorize verse 10. Um, Not your typical memory verse, but to be reminded that there is coming a day when God's enemy and our enemy will be no more. And he has fled even now in desperation, sort of the way the, uh, the, uh, the pro-democracy Chinese fled to the island of Taiwan in 1949 when the country was being overrun by Mao Zedong and the communists. So Satan has been uh, in a complete reversal. Uh, Satan is on the run. The, the good guys went to Taiwan, in this case the bad guy, the one who is our tormentor, the one who tries to deceive us, has fled, but he will not last long because Jesus is coming again. And so in this present age, as the gospel goes forth to the end of the earth, it is opposed, it is warred against, but we believe that Christ will conquer all and that the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, we see the conqueror just in that early, we call it the the uh, proto-gospel in Genesis chapter 3, when God says to the serpent, "Ah, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. See, Christ has crushed the enemy's head. He still flickers. He, he still moves. He still attacks. He still bruises our heel. You can live with a bruised heel. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. But you can live that way, especially knowing that Christ has crushed the head of his enemy. And we look back and we think of, of, of Jesus' incarnation and God becoming man without ceasing to be God and how the enemy opposed him throughout his life in Jesus uh, even taken to the cross the thing that was meant to be his destruction becomes the moment in which through which he's the transaction through which he saves his people and he's raised from the dead and he, as I said, he's presently interceding on our behalf and he's returning to judge the living and the dead. That's why it's so important that we say that when we confess our faith in the Apostles' Creed. In John, John wrote earlier in his life in First John 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We were talking earlier this morning about a, uh, a pet whose, whose days are short and in the same way sometimes maybe you've had a pet who was injured and suddenly this pet's personality is completely different and we talk about a wounded dog uh, sometimes an animal that has been loving and kind now in great pain uh, lashes out at anybody that tries to come near them well in a similar picture Our enemy has received his fatal wound in the triumph of King Jesus. And it is just a matter of time. And so we in the church are stuck with this wounded animal for a season. But one day, Jesus will return and Satan will be no more. He will be cast into that lake of fire and sulfur. And as I say, what we read... In the next chapter, maybe even on the same page of your Bible, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will will be with them as their God. You see, there'll be no more enemy. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Friends, who do we listen to? Do we listen to the one who has made that promise? Who has assured us by the presence of his Spirit? Or do we listen to the one who, who would steal and kill and destroy. Isn't God gracious and kind to give us his word? Isn't he gracious and kind to give us these elements? So that the the times when I, we're just not certain and we feel buffeted and attacked and tossed about by the enemy, we can know as surely as I am holding this breath, and as surely as I am tasting this bread and tasting this cup, that I am in Christ and that nothing can snatch me out of his hand. The reformer Martin Luther, at one point in his life, felt a great deal of oppression from the enemy. And there was one day Luther was given to maybe what we would call a little woo woo, and, and he sensed the attack of the enemy. And he threw his inkwell. This was back, you know, when you was used a feather or something or, or a stylus. He threw it against the wall, and he yelled out to the devil and anybody else who would listen, "I am a baptized Christian." Sometimes we have to look at the enemy's schemes and at the way he attacks this real enemy in this real war, and say there is something greater, and that is. King Jesus. And so we say like the Apostle John does at the end of the book of Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus.